sunday night edition of the pod back on schedule we're sponsored today by blue apron check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash catspace blue apron a better way to cook so let's start in utah we talked about the demoralizing defeat that houston inflicted on utah in game three leading 70 to 40 at halftime and while utah played much better in this game ultimately they just could not begin to solve the rockets defense they could not and something that Kevin Pelton brought up, which I thought was was a good point, is that last season when the Rockets shot 30% or worse on threes, they were five and thirteen. This year, in that same circumstance, almost the same number of games actually, they are ten and six. So the big difference there has been their defense has reached a level where they can they can survive bad shooting nights. And I thought Clint Capella in particular was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I thought he got tired briefly towards the end of the second quarter, but overall just unbelievable. Six block shots, five offensive rebounds he has dominated Rudy Gobert in that individual matchup the last couple of games Houston get, did get their threes up 10 out of 38 but Capella also 6 of 11 from the field a few of those were taps as well had two steals and six blocks I mean that's really remarkable and not only was he fantastic as a help defender but also just the switching defense and the strides that he's made from only a year ago when we saw intermittently they would try and switch a lot against the Warriors and he was asked do that and he was one of the biggest guys who would break down from a communication standpoint and now he has switched seamlessly the ultimate test will be coming with the warriors for that strategy but he switched seamlessly he's probably a tougher matchup just to score on -on one-on-one for really the jazz creators mitchell being the chief among those maybe of all of the houston players on the floor maybe trevor arisa might be the only one that you'd say or mbop mute would do a better job on mitchell one-on-one than capella's done the jazz infuriated you i know by continuing to switch Capella onto Mitchell when he had Harden instead but it's still been incredible and, and I think that one of the bigger things for Capella too is being able to build up his stamina he played a, a uh, yeah I think it was a career high 37 minutes tonight leading the team that's really impressive especially considering he was doing a lot out there defensively I mean centers there's the that adage that they kind of move less just because once they get to a spot they're satiation but the way that he switches and is and is active out there is is different and with Capella I'm not saying he is better necessarily than either guy, but we are now at the point where unless something crazy happens in this one, in this series, he will have outplayed Carl Anthony Towns in the first round and outplayed Rudy Gobert in the second round. Yeah, and certainly Capella's skills are quite useful on this Rockets team where they have a bunch of other guys who can switch as well. And so he can be part of that switching team. And they've been doing that all year. He can concentrate on running the floor, finishing around the rim, setting screens, hitting the offensive glass. And obviously that skill set is quite in demand. Uh, we but I, I mean i was impressed by how he's held up in post defense you know against towns in, in the first round i th- I thought he was really going to just get trucked and instead you know he was strong enough to hold his own blocked a few of, of towns shots so clint capella definitely i mean he is uh his contract situation is one of the more fascinating in the nba as a restricted free agent this offseason uh oh yeah. one other one other thing kind of capella related that i wanted to mention utah shot 21 of 42 in the restricted area that is a lot of attempts some of that coming from harden being just awful in man-to-man defense. I want to talk about that in a second. But so they missed 21 shots in the restricted area and they only had eight offensive rebounds total in the game. And so that's good defensive rebounding. Also, you know, just kind of getting getting guys back. They had a lot of different Rockets, I thought, did a, made a concerted effort, PJ Tucker among them, to just make sure that these were one-shot possessions for the Jazz. And I thought they did a really good job overall. Yeah, and Houston, or I'm sorry, the Jazz shot chart is a little misleading because a lot of those threes were off the dribble, difficult attempts. You know, they weren't getting these 
these wide open spot up looks or they're getting into the lane but still their guy was bothering them other than when they were able to get past Harden which you know as you mentioned his performance was one of the worst he's had a while defensively and be very interesting to see how he holds up in the next round against the Warriors uh but those jazz shots I mean were not great Capella caused a lot of those issues obviously I mean six blocks that's uh, that uh takes you from a decent night shooting the ball in the restricted area to a horrible one just on its own you know so uh and most of his blocks as I recall I don't remember any that weren't around the rim so yeah and I thought the Jazz fought valiantly Dante Exum who had nine points in the first quarter then got his third foul uh one of the three that he got was totally ridiculous the other two were probably pretty legit and then uh looked to suffer a hamstring injury on a drive past Harden early in the third quarter and his night was done you have to imagine his series was done obviously Rubio with his own hamstring issues uh, was not able to play in this one Derek Favors was limited due to an ankle injury although I felt that him using that as an excuse to not play him in the starting lineup helped the Jazz to some degree because that combination had been awful so far but I mean they played great defense on James Harden I mean Harden had one of his worst scoring games he was had 24 points still the best plus minus on the team of plus 16 but 24 points that was on 25 shooting possessions then he also had eight turnovers as well so it's very rare that you'll see him below a point per possession in the game but Chris Paul made up for it with the element that they did not have last year which was the mid-range game Chris Paul scored 27 points and did not take a shot in the restricted area and only took two free throws and only made one three-pointer yeah only made one three-pointer he was so he was six for eight from floater range five for nine from from mid-range and one for six from three yeah and he did not turn it over as much as hard only one uh and had six assists it was not a high assist game by any means for the Rockets the strategy for the Jazz basically since game one game one you'll recall that they ended up having the big try and get the guy and then Paul Harden would retreat out to the three-point line and just killed him with ISO three-pointers with the big on them since then the Jazz strategy has been we're going to have Rudy Gobert relatively lay back we're going to give up the mid-ranger sometimes Gobert contests he had some real good contests in game two but overall Paul was able to get relatively open uh Capella setting a huge screen was a big part of that also to get the guy really on his back and then Paul also is so good at kind of the constraint play if you're gonna sell out on the rear view contest he'll just stop and back right into you and draw a foul so you you have to try to recover once you've been screened off in, in a way that's under control you can't just like race to get back in front of him so he really is just a master of all those dark arts and uh, the shooting that he had was whoa, whoa, whoa you're saying Chris you're saying Chris Paul is adept and aggressive about trying to seek out foul calls I mean there was one segment where they're up 10 the Jazz turnover Paul makes an unbelievable steal they got five seconds left and then he instantly tries to back into someone who's trying to sprint back on defense and draw a foul and then he tries to draw a shooting foul you know in his preferred place 75 feet from the rim you know you think he would have learned his lesson on that back uh, in the Oklahoma City debacle in, in game 5 2014 but not the case uh and it was just like you know if Chris Paul just didn't do stuff like that uh it would be fine although he did have a point where he went into his shooting motion at half court when they were trying to give a euro foul and that's the one situation to me where I want that to be called a three-shot foul because the euro fouling to me is an even greater evil than trying to draw a bullshit three-shot foul and especially when you commit to your shooting motion James had one too LeBron James uh, I think it was game two against the Raptors where once he picks his dribble up and actually is going into a shooting motion you know they've got the ball above their their shoulders before the contact occurs like that should be a shooting foul they're committed to it there yeah I I'm a little bit happy we weren't doing the Twitter show because after that happened I laughed belly laughed for about a minute and a half <laughs> just because it was such a perfect distillation of of everything in both ways and and I mean listeners of this podcast know how big 
big a fan I am of Chris Paul's talent. That is, you know, that's been a consistent thread of dunked on as long as it has run. But that kind of stuff, it does make him harder to harder to watch, I think is, is probably the way. Though I still appreciate his dedication to it and the way that he can succeed without the foul drawing as well. But you're, it was a great point to bring up in terms of the way you have to close out on him because Chris Paul knows where the defenders are at any one time and knows if there's a way that I can exploit this to my advantage, it's the parallel he has with, with James Harden, he'll do it. For the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell followed out with 25 points, three turnovers. He was only eight out of 24 from the field, though. He took 14 shots at the rim, and that is just a crap load for a guard, but it was only five out of 14 there. And again, he really was driving out of control on a lot of these plays. And so I think for Mitchell, teams are going to be switching him. Teams are going to be switching the Jazz a lot, you know, to see the success that was had here to the extent that they can do it. And he's got to just get to be a better off the dribble shooter. Uh, He was one out of five on threes above the break. You know, a lot of those are off the dribble. Uh, But even from mid-range, you know, I I think he's got to be a little bit better about getting the guy on his heels and pulling up instead of just driving into the teeth of the defense. And even when he had someone like Capella on him, Houston just does a great job of defending ISOs, helping at the rim, shrinking the floor. I mean, they had plenty of practice against it, against, uh, against Minnesota. And it's just to attack this Houston defense, you just, especially if you don't have a system that's used to really attacking switches. And the Warriors have seen that a lot. I can't wait to see Houston trying to defend the Warriors in the next series. But if you're a team like Utah, you know, you're predicated on getting penetration. A lot of times with guys who aren't, you know, the greatest finishers at the rim in the world and then drawing help and kicking and getting threes or starting another penetration sequence. And when you have to, you're facing a team that actually can execute switches well, unlike Oklahoma City, you're, everything kind of has to go perfect, right? Like they had some success with, okay, first we're going to switch Clint Capella onto a small, get him away from the rim so he can't help. And then we'll swing the ball to somebody else. And then that guy can drive because Capella is guarding a shooter and doesn't want to help you know but there's or you know maybe we can slip right to the rim but then like pj tucker was helping off the corner and taking that away you know i think that's they missed rubio a little bit there on those plays because his passing the jazz were a little, a little bit of a passing deficit in this game but it just or you know maybe you get a post up every once in a while with favors you know they didn't have anyone who could go into the post other than favors so i thought that was an underutilized thing uh for them but they just or joe ingles has got got to be hot off the dribble and jay crowder has got to be really hot on contested threes and so they just everything had to go right for them it did in game two that's how they got that win but other than that they just have not been able to even approach efficient offense against this houston team in the half court every once in a while they're able to get out and transition when houston was missing layups and, and they're able to push it but other than that i mean it was just for this jazz team i mean it, it's a perfect strategy with the perfect personnel to stop them along those same lines one other thing i want to mention you talked about pj tucker helping off the corner is that utah doesn't have the personnel to ever really play five guys that you have to make sure that you're guarding out at any time like Royce O'Neal talented player but if you leave him open it's not a panic catastrophic right. situation and there, there's almost yeah. always somebody like Exum, that and so their system yeah uh even Crowder is you know he was one of seven on threes he's been off this you know it's really only Ingles and then o- and Mitchell as just a spot-up guy especially in this iteration of the Jazz that yeah it's just like hey if we're in an ISO we can't leave this guy yeah and so that works really well against them and that could play into the next series as well I- I'm really interested to to see where Houston's approach goes and also knowing that how the Warriors position their players I think that's going to be really interesting to see try to control where the help is coming from and that series I mean we've been looking forward
forward to it, the two of us, probably since about November. Does that seem about I mean, basically, fair? And it's not guaranteed basically yet. Basically, since Chris Paul came back and it kind of became clear that Kawhi Leonard, you know, wasn't going to make the Spurs this third team that could get into it. I mean, it seemed clear that this was coming and both of those teams had dominating wins here. Uh, anything else you wanted to say on this one before we depart? I mean, I think this is these last two games. It's kind of we're out of steam in this series at this point. You know, there wasn't the other series maybe had a little more strategic intrigue, but this one, you know, the Rockets switching just put a stranglehold on the Jazz and they have great personnel and that was it basically. I mean, I don't have much else to say. The Jazz to have gotten this far, to have even won that one game, did incredibly well. Uh, I, I take my hat off to them for a great season because we're probably not going to talk about game five unless it's close that much. But, uh, you know, th- they were awesome this year. And I thought, uh, you know, Gobert, I-, I think that he was able to be relatively effective. You know, Houston is, is scoring, you know, David Locke had this set. This was like Houston's like 76th most efficient game of the year. And they still won by 13. But, uh, you know, and the Jazz defended well. They did everything they could, I think, against the switching. I mean, they were trying to even like, you know, Donovan Mitchell was like moving guys around to make sure that they got the perfect level of spacing on every ISO if they had to. But it just it just wasn't enough. And uh, very bright future for Utah. But Donovan Mitchell as a rookie and really as the only impetus for the Jazz off the dribble, you know, could not get it done against this Colossus of a team. I'm really excited to see how Dennis Lindsay and the and the Utah front office uses the lessons of this year because Utah has more flexibility depending on how they want to go into it. And I'm not going to do their whole offseason preview right now. But whether they take this and say, okay, we need you no know, more shot creation, three point shooting, defense, wh- wherever they go with it, I think this series will be instructive, and I think they'll be happy that it happened. You know, maybe not that it turned out exactly the way that it did, but just that they got to this point. And all in this with the quote from Chris Paul, who was talking to Kristen Ledlow after the game and they were talking I think she was talking about being up 3-1 and his quote was I've been here before 3-1 shit went bad real quick yeah and that 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 series is actually where dunked on found its stride that was the Houston Clippers series that led to the possession by possession breakdown starting with I believe that game five of the of that round I, w- I will respectfully disagree with you I think it was actually the Spurs Clippers series from the previous round uh where we really got into doing that like that game seven uh oh that's w- right was it was right before called. that but i think we hit our stride more with it with the because yeah. i remember i remember we did that for like basically how the breakdown happened in game six yeah well it was uh it was definitely a, a struggle but the rockets of course far more dominant position here they also you know it's much easier to blow a 3-1 lead when you only have one more home game left as well so rockets will play again on tuesday night i think we all expect them to close out the series and we can talk more about the lessons of this you know i, I think the favors and Gobert combination not working as it did in the OKC series and I think also for OKC the fact that they got lit up offensively throughout large parts of that series when they could have just been switching the whole time they could have been you know they have pretty decent defensive personnel for switching just the fact that they weren't able to stop this Jazz team when you see the performance the Jazz have had offensively in this next round uh it's got to be lead to some soul searching in OKC and I'm sure it will and you know we already did their offseason preview of this there we think of them going forward but it's definitely a disappointment that OKC who I don't think has that much worse a defensive personnel than the Rockets do at least in terms of the physical ability of those players uh were not able to be as effective against the Utah Jazz in a series that wasn't even really as close as the six game or indicated so uh let's do a read and then we'll get to New Orleans and Golden State Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country and they are on a mission to make incredible home kicking accessible to everyone as they have for me we're actually i'm gonna make some blue apron now because it's looking like we're gonna have
have a, a few free nights before the conference finals get started with all these series looking to wrap up pretty quickly and it's a great time for me to get back to blue apron in the evenings because we're in the midst of a six-week period all the way through may 21st when blue apron is teaming with airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world each week their menu will feature a recipe developed in collaboration with an airbnb experiences host like cc a chef from shanghai who makes incredible kung pao chicken i would suggest just going to that blueapron.com slash catspace url and checking out the meals that they have and the amount of time it takes to cook them and i think you'll be really impressed with what they have to offer as you scroll through you'll be like wow this is like better than eating it in a restaurant most times and you're making it at home what my fiance and i like to do is we'll actually get the four-person one cook it for the two of us and then we'll have leftovers for the next day once again the way to get started with them and get your first three meals free is to go to blueapron.com slash catspace easy to remember because the utah jazz could have cap space this offseason blueapron.com slash cap space blue apron a better way to cook so stephen douglas kerr finally did it danny he finally started their five best players together and who would have thought it actually went pretty well for them <laughs> well i was terrified that so, it wouldn't go well because you remember the only other time that he never go the back only to other it time again. he started i mean it wasn't obviously they didn't have kd but they started the the death lineup back then uh in game six at cleveland and they lost the first quarter 31 to 11 and then he went back to Azili because Bogut was out by that point starting game seven and you know Draymond was like plus 18 or whatever the hell he was or plus 10 in that game that they lost um when he didn't play enough time at center but especially with New Orleans being so small New Orleans played one real center that was Anthony Davis you know it would be Miritich at center a lot of the times outside of that they went to it and uh as you said it worked and uh he already said that he's going to start this in game five the stats are pretty remarkable so that collection of five players was plus 26 in 18 minutes 130 offensive rating 66.5 defensive rating so if you do the math the net rating plus 63.6 they're basically doubling their score when they were out there in those eight minutes yeah and against the pelican starters like those lineups largely were starters versus starters it was the beginning of the first the beginning of the third and then a couple other times scattered throughout and the biggest reason why draymond at center beyond personnel why it works so well is that all of the players on the floor understand what is being asked of them defensively and they engage on that and I think that was one of the biggest differences when JaVale McGee was in there not just JaVale's limitations defensively but it changes the approach of the yeah. players and Same Kerr with had Nick this Young. idea Same of oh I'm trying yeah yeah because it, it just they know that they know that the the pathway to success is a little bit different and so it, it gives the players a mental out which they don't have in this case and I thought their defense as a team was fabulous and Draymond shifted from primarily guarding Rajon Rondo and helping off of him to being the primary guy on Davis and I thought he did a wonderful job overall the biggest stat in this game I mean I thought there were two so I'll say the two biggest stats number one New Orleans Pelicans nine out of 23 in the restricted area through the competitive portion of the game which was three quarters this is a team with Anthony Davis who and AD he had a lot of finishes that he missed especially in the first half that I'm sure he would love to have back but he's trying to go up against Draymond Green and Draymond Green is a great rim protector Kevin Durant when he's in position can really protect the rim Andre Iguodala long arms he'll strip you if you're not careful uh they just have really active hands and the Pels got to the free throw line plenty in the first half you know that that was what was keeping them in the game especially in the second quarter but just for the Warriors to go so small and yet still protect the rim so I mean that was just the beauty of this lineup when they actually were playing hard in the regular season they were getting scored on pretty well because Iguodala Draymond KD those guys like weren't really playing that hard defensively and so but when those guys play hard defensively and then on offense I thought the Pels D was like 
actually pretty good you know the Warriors shot very poorly from three to be sure uh, they were only nine out of 20 well actually you know what they weren't that bad during the first three quarters they're they're nine out of 24 so that's that's not awful uh but and the Pels were only four out of 17 which hurt uh they they did not make a three-pointer in the second half but to go 15 out of 29 on mid-range shots and once again Kevin Durant was the leader in that category Kevin Durant was ridiculous offensively in this game in a way that I don't think people expected when he came to the Warriors partially because the the idea of the fit within Kerr's offense was never really to be that guy but partially due to Steph Curry still looking limited and because Durant was just getting buckets they just kept on going to it and what was so crazy about his efficiency so it was 15 of 27 and I believe he had two shots in the restricted area and then five threes in this game was most of the shots that he made were well contested they were a often contested by smaller guys and he was just making shots and Durant I think the phrase the word you used on the pod on Twitter NBA show was unperturbable that when he's in the, in a certain frame of mind other than maybe somebody as big as Anthony Davis he just thinks he can shoot over everybody and he's pretty much right yeah and KD now this has shifted over the course of the years as the league has begun to eschew long mid-range attempts compared to where he was earlier in his career but he took the highest percentile of shots and also part of the reason too is that he's they do it by position he's been listed as a forward now rather than uh as a wing as he was earlier in his career but he was 98th percentile in the number of long mid-rangers outside the paint that he took this season and he just was hitting every single one of them and you know those battier contests he talked about he's like i used to play against shane battier uh and i'm used to him and he sure was i mean that like he was just like and he said hey you know i've taken these shots so many times that i know where i am on the floor and i don't think he even really needs to see the rim or if he does see it you know you're probably really gauging where you are before you're releasing the ball and that contest comes in there that's probably part of it too is that you've really already decided where the ball is going and what your shooting motion is before that hand comes in there at the end you know when you're just releasing the ball you've already aimed so i mean when you first jump to shoot it that's where you need to know where where the basket is so i I mean i think that kind of a contest doesn't matter as much but it sure looks impressive when he makes those shots like that um i mean there's just there's nothing that drew holiday could do or etuan more or god forbid if it was ian clark who uh crashed back to earth in a big way in this game so i i don't know i mean i I am really interested to see uh, because still even with kd having this great game and they didn't shoot it great from three by the end of the game only 11 of 16 at the rim for the warriors in this game through uh that was for the whole game right they only had 16 shots at the rim for the whole game yeah it is you 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 pasted this chart into the document so i was i was wasn't sure whether you did it for the whole yeah it was it was 18 that was actually included i skipped the last five minutes because nobody cares about the last five minutes um for the pels i thought that the rondo really became an issue to the point where he wasn't even playing in the fourth quarter the 21 assists by the way new orleans going back to the days of chris paul their home assist scoring has always been uh rather generous shall we say so i mean people who went through it were like no it was actually more like 14 in game three but he only had five zero in the second half i thought that his defense was not very good anytime he gets in in the post he just totally gives up uh and but the more the bigger issue is when he doesn't have the ball and he wasn't able to score they did a much better job of not overreacting to him when he had the ball uh but still giving good pressure so he didn't have as good a passing lanes but when he drove they were going to force him to try and finish and and they did a great job of contesting him when he didn't have the ball though i mean they just were not guarding him at all i mean to the point where drew holiday and ad are running pick and rolls ad is would have been wide open for numerous alley-oops and whoever was helping off a rondo who usually would be in one of the corners would just stand under the rim and prevent that pass to ad 
ad and so you're seeing i mean rondo had one game that was pretty good even though he still was only what like two for nine two for 11 or something in game three but it, it was definitely an issue and i didn't think that he by the end you know i think we were kind of like all right maybe darius miller would be a better choice here but uh on a pelicans team that is not exactly overflowing with depth uh they kind of had to play him and i think the warriors were able to take advantage of his weaknesses especially once they gave it just a little more pressure so he couldn't pick them apart off of screening actions from up top and again not to do their offseason preview ahead of time but they're going to face a really complicated decision not only with demarcus obviously but with with rondo because presume assuming he gets more than the non-bird would allow which is basically 120 percent of his of the minimum that dips into their mid-level which means they can't use it for anything else and to me as important as rondo has been for their psyche and all that they need wing depth in the worst way and solomon hill you know if he can have a healthy summer and be more recovered from this hamstring could be a part of that but they need more bodies that are capable of playing rotation minutes so that they don't have to use rondo as much as they do because i think each one more could step into the two guard role on this team really well yeah I, i'm not sure really where they can go and uh stay tuned by the way because we'll be talking about the free agent wings uh, i was actually having a, a conversation with an executive the other day about like who the pels could maybe get in free agency and we uh we thought that it was rather bleak <laughs> for them uh but uh their offseason preview will be coming as well i mean you you uh wrote extensively on this game as you always do anything else you wanted to talk about here one other thing kavon looney has had a good series overall but i have watched a lot of this series as i've watched a lot of this season with an eye towards a potential conference finals against the rockets and his struggles on switches are going to be a big problem against houston because they are going to seek out those matchups and exploit them and he hasn't done a good job on drew holiday drew holiday is a brutal cover for any big man he's a spectacular player did you know was a monster justifiably in that blazer series but the rockets have other players that can do a similar thing and so there's maybe the possibility that looney will even start in that series because of the presence of quinn capella and i know that he's less predictable and all that kind of stuff and he's a rookie but i if he cared about my opinion i would say that kerr needs to give serious thought to jordan bell because i think he's a superior well the problem is jordan bell hasn't been playing and he makes some mental mistakes he's not going to get over making those mental mistakes by sitting on the bench he came in and immediately threw like an awesome pass to david west you know he really like and it just it seems like kerr is just so conservative and he thinks that bell is kind of a hot dog with like the throw throw it off the backboard thing and like and he just he doesn't want to believe that a rookie can come in and you know be kind of brash and and he's sort of fallen under the draymond wing of the team that kerr has clashed with a little bit and this is all me surmising i don't know this for sure but it's just i'm kind of guessing a little bit of what the psychology is here but you know what like he's the only guy who i think has any kind of a chance of staying with some of these rockets on switches especially if you wanted to bring him in when it's chris paul and no james harden in the game i think that's where uh he could really be effective would be guarding paul and i don't think looney can contain paul on switches either um and and also he has more athleticism against capella i think that looney is going to struggle athletically against capella so uh yeah when if jordan bell comes in and he starts making a lot of mistakes it's like well you didn't get him ready you know he was supposed to be part of this and then he had these injuries but uh you know he seems to be healthy now and and they just haven't given him any time whatsoever and he actually played well in garbage time in game three as well but that's uh i guess we should probably give like the steph curry update we haven't even said his name yet yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say is the last thing we should do so curry i i think his night would look different a little bit in terms of feel if he had a couple of the threes that rimmed out would have gone in but he still didn't show that separation of separation with the ball in his hands a lot of the threes that he took and made were on blown coverages were coming off the ball and he hasn't shown that burst yet also only got to the line for three free throws 
and that came when Ian Clark closed out on him poorly and caught him on the arm. So Curry was not creating much. He ended the game four for eight from two, which is actually better than before. But I think a couple of those were he actually played in garbage time a little bit of this game just to kind of get him into a rhythm. And so I thought he looked a little bit better physically than game three, but not that much better. Yeah, I thought uh, defensively, actually, I thought it was where he looked better. I thought he had more energy when the Pels tried to attack him. You know, that it wasn't like an auto bucket. I thought the Pels got away from that a little bit. The other thing I'd like to see the Pels try, which they haven't really at all, is to try to get Curry switched on to Drew Holiday and let Holiday go to work on him, see if he can pick up a few fouls. That's just, uh, for whatever reason, that has been how they've operated. But, uh, you know, I think that's something that, especially with Holiday's strength, that uh, Curry would just have no chance to deal with. And you could probably draw some double teams out of that and, and, and get some threes. You know, Miritich, for example, just could not get open in the game at all with Iguodala guarding him. Uh, and Iguodala is just the master at helping and recovering the shooters. Like his second half defensively was just absolute clinic. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think there's much left in terms of adjustments for the Pels. Maybe a little less Rondo, maybe trying to go at Curry a little bit. But, you know, this series is over. I think it's pretty clear that that's the case. So we will talk free agent wings here momentarily. But first, this friendly reminder from our friends at FTD that Mother's Day is upon us. I am insanely grateful to my mother for this year in particular. She's been there with a, a lot of advice and help with the wedding while not driving my fiance even remotely close to insane. And uh, I am certainly going to be showing my appreciation and ftd can help you do the same the big hook with ftd is that they actually have a local florist arrange the flowers for you and then hand deliver it to your door and they're already arranged they actually you know two hands handed me a box with the vase vase or vase i guess vase is probably the way i'm gonna go with the vase in it and it looked fantastic my fiance of course was very pleased to get it a lot of really cool touches in the bouquet and you're not limited to just one type of flowers you can get up to 25 percent i'm sorry you can get 25 percent not up to 25%, 25% off a florist style bouquet for mom this Mother's Day at the link ftd.com slash Mother's Day. Different code here, ftd.com slash Mother's Day, all one word. FTD, we can arrange that. So with, you know, 95% of the league's teams needing another wing, specifically a decent 3 and D wing, let's get into this class. And the way we rank it, we talked about this before, superstar, star, starter, and starter is kind of not necessarily someone who just will start for a team but hey i want to make a big long-term com- commitment to this player at starter money although that's the bottom of that's a little nebulous especially in this category rotation and fringe and then of course we have unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents but three superstars uh headline this year's free agent class kevin durant who will be 29 has already said he'll be returning to the warriors but that leaves two upon whom probably the most intrigue lies of any two free agents in this class also worth noting that all three of these players have player options for the 2018-19 season and those decisions will be significant in terms of how this is manipulated because LeBron James and Paul George you know unrestricted free agents and this will be LeBron he's 33 right now Paul George 28 and they can go basically anywhere I love that report that came out about how the Knicks are prepared to clear money to sign LeBron James yeah them and 29 other teams you know that that's what LeBron James <laughs> yeah. is well, except the Cavs at this who point don't, in his career won't clear money they could just resign 
competitive. But yeah, other than that, it, you're right. It's uh, kind of ridiculous. Hey, they still would clear money if, for whatever reason they had to. That, that's that's the way it works. And they're both special players. You know, LeBron, we both ranked as still the best player in basketball. And that was before this run when he has been just mind-blowing against the Pacers and, of course, against the Raptors right now. And so I think at some point LeBron is, is going to show more of his age. I have no idea when that is. And a lot of teams will have to kind of price in a little bit of the defensive chill mode in the regular season, but they don't need to concern themselves with that too much because they know that it can turn around when it comes down to it. Yeah, and James and George, of course, rumored to potentially team up in Los Angeles. James could opt in maybe to facilitate a trade. I do not expect George to do that though, because James, he'll basically be making on his player option. I think it's actually a little bit more. Isn't it a little bit more than what he could make as a free it agent? Is. Yeah, it, just in this yeah, one year. Yeah, because the cap, because the cap did not rise as fast as as his uh as the percentage of his deal so yeah as a technical matter i actually wrote about this at one point for the athletic about how financially if he were to take a one-year deal it would actually be more sound to opt in but you know there there are a lot of other benefits to opting out and doing like a one plus one whether it's or whatever there are a lot of different contracts he can sign especially because as we talked about in the chris paul area even if he re-signed with the cavaliers he is not subject to the over 36 rule because it is now the over 38 rule and part of the other reason why he would opt in would be so that he could get a trade to a team that doesn't really have cap space uh george he would not opt in even under those circumstances i don't think because he'd be costing himself 10 million bucks and you're also you know at age 28 with the injury history that he has i mean i think you want to grab that five-year contract that four-year contract now uh, and not risk it for another year especially when you're costing yourself 10 million dollars for that year so i mean i think suitors for these guys obviously the sixers have been talked about the lakers have been talked about among the cap space teams i mean those are probably the only two that you would look at uh for either of those two guys that you think hey you probably would want to go there and they can clear the money for i mean does that do any of the other cap space teams appeal to either of those guys in your mind not particularly especially when you consider being pragmatic kind of all the other stuff i mean from a basketball perspective it'd be fun to see one of those guys like on the jazz or the pacers or something like that but real if we're talking realistic i i don't think that makes that that seems particularly likely and i know i've heard some some rumblings about lebron potentially opting in and going to the rockets there is the connection of course with chris paul sure they would have a lot of really talented basketball players but we've seen over the last couple of years in particular that at least it seems like lebron you know he, he of course likes playing with talented players but that would be such a difference in terms of surrounding talent than what he's been with before because james harden great with the ball in his hands sometimes very passive and flawed when the ball is not in his hands and chris paul better as a three-point shooter now but i just i i they would obviously be really really talented but i just don't i don't see the the mechanics of that working as well as some of the other superstar combinations we've seen yeah i mean the fact that both harden and paul can shoot would certainly be very useful for that but and another reason as i talked about with the opting in is yeah you could do a sign and trade if you opt out but then that team would be hard cap or if they're over the apron they couldn't do the the trade sign and trade to begin with and that almost certainly be the case with the rockets so if you're already under contract then you can be traded to whoever you want to be assuming that the salaries can match let's get into the rest of this class though really only no stars uh in either the unrestricted or the restricted level at this point the guys that i have listed as starters and we can certainly quibble with that uh are a fascinating group most of them two guards contavious and what really the difference between for a two guard to me is can you plausibly guard you know a kevin durant or a paul george or you know not many can plausibly 
possibly guard LeBron, but at least you're not going to just get completely trucked uh, by LeBron. So here, here are the five that I have as starters. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, age 25. Avery Bradley, remember him, Danny? <laughs> uh, he certainly had a lost year and, and is coming off now that groin surgery, but he's only 27. Danny Green, age 31, has a player option though for 10 million. And I think after the year that he's had, you could see him opting into that. Uh, he really struggled. I mean, I think it was, maybe he's just done, but, and he wasn't even playing in that Warriors series when they desperately needed his ostensible skill set. Uh, you know, he wasn't hitting shots as much this year, but maybe that was just because all the nagging injuries he had to deal with this year. And then JJ Redick, age 34, and Trevor Ariza barely squeaked into this list for me uh, at age 33. Yeah, I don't quibble with anybody on, on that side of it. I mean, Ariza could fade out pretty quickly. I mean, he, he with yes. the Rockets, there have been times this year where he hasn't looked as good as Mbamute and PJ Tucker. So that is certainly a concern. But also, as a practical matter, I would predict that he's going to get starter money with the Rockets. He's, you know, po- it seems like he's pretty popular among his star teammates and his ability to defend forwards is valuable in the league. So I th- I'm not sure that he'll get, you know, like four years at starter money, but I could see it for three or maybe two. Yeah. And I mean, I think the problem for a lot of these guys now is where are you getting more than the mid-level exception, right? You know, the teams that have cap space, not necessarily looking for established stars. Maybe a KCP could be that at, at 25. The rest of these guys are older. Bradley is another guy, but you know, again, with the way he played last year coming off the injury, I think a lot of the bloom is off that rose with him uh, as with many players who have left Boston. That's kind of been the case. Uh, Redick is another incredibly interesting one. We do the Sixers offseason preview. We'll have much more to say about that, but certainly he's a guy that I think a lot of teams would be interested in. He's spoken before about how you know kind of getting some stability is important. So maybe there could be a team that was willing to offer him a three-year deal at the full level, you know, maybe with a partial guarantee in the fourth year. Maybe that would be enough for him. Uh, and maybe something along those lines could keep him in Philly as well. Because he won't be their first priority, uh, but he certainly could wait to see until what happens with Philly's cap space before he, he goes elsewhere. Uh, and Ariza, same thing. I mean, he seems like a guy, they will have full bird rights on him, but if they have any kind of free agent ambitions at all, not sure that they'll want to bring him back. But then they've got Luke and Bob Mute as a free agent as well. And they need one of those two guys to be sure. But, you know, maybe they can get some guys who, who are available at the minute. But I think Ariza, you know, a lot of these guys, I mean, it's kind of, it's tough in past years, you know, these would have been giving guys getting $15 million a year contracts for four years, maybe even more than that. But, you know, mo- I think pretty much all of these guys are looking at like mid-level exception type of money. And so uh, you could see them doing maybe one plus ones, you know, like a KCP or a Bradley to try to get back into the 2019 market, ha- have a good season. Danny Green, you know, I, th- I expect him to probably opt in. So we, I don't want to spend too much time on him. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really, it, it's tough to say to me, uh, which of these guys, I mean, do can you see any of these guys in any destination getting more than the mid-level exception? I mean, I guess the one thing that you could say maybe is if there are teams who really believe in these guys, maybe they would be interested in getting them on a sign and trade and that's how they can get more money than the mid-level exception. Kind of the way Danilo Gallinari did last year with the Clippers. And certain teams could be amenable to that. It would it would be really interesting if because of the, the contract that KCP signed, the Lakers non-bird rights are actually enough. There are certain contracts oh, they that they will could be sign sure. them to. That I mean, would that's work. over 20 yeah, million. Yeah, so if they, if they structure it, the problem with that, depending on what the Lakers do in the offseason, is they might that they might not be able to take on any money but there are some creative accounting in terms of funneling things to third teams and all that sort of all, all those sort of elements the other big thing that changed with this and i don't want to get too much into the into the sixer section because we'll do that soon enough but my expectation had always been that oh the sixers they'll, they'll maybe get their choice of kcp bradley and danny green and because 
you know, oh, that's their biggest need. Well, two things happened. One, they succeeded without really filling that void because Dario Saric had such a good year. And second, they're now big game hunting. And they, they, you know, winning 50 plus games. They're now in the mix, theoretically, for Paul George or LeBron. And so I'm not sure that they're willing to just throw a bunch of money. Maybe if they could get them on kind of like a stopgap contract, do one of those guys in JJ Redick or something like that. But I don't think they're going to sacrifice their flexibility for 2019 for KCP or Bradley or Green. Yeah. And I think they've also, it's kind of shown, maybe you could say they needed another defensive stopper, but they Covington is under contract already. He, he Hopefully the idea would be that he would just play better in future playoffs and Ben Simmons can grow into that defensive role a little bit more. But I think the, kind of their biggest need is someone who can do something off the dribble. And if they're not counting on Markel Fultz being that guy next year, which I sure wouldn't be, then you know you start to think about maybe like a Will Barton uh, as we get into the guys that I think of as rotation guys. At the top of there are Will Barton at 27, Tyreek Evans at 28. And I'm, I'm going to kind of do go a little bit differently. I have these guys ranked, but I want to go more into just kind of some of the archetypes here. We've got scorers, you know, guys who can do stuff off the dribble, usually smaller guys. So Will Barton is on that list. Tyreek Evans at 28 coming off of a career year. Still got Dwayne Wade out there at 36, although it doesn't seem like he's going to want to go anywhere other than Miami. Uh, Austin Rivers, I think he might opt into his uh, $12 million player option. And so we'll be crossing him off this list soon. And Jamal Crawford actually has opted out of his player options. So he probably falls into that kind of second unit shot creator type of a role. Not really anyone else in there. So those are players who are going to be in demand. There's a lot of teams that just need someone to create some shots for them. Uh, and it's really Barton, Evans, Wade, who's probably not going anywhere, and Jamal Crawford. And that's kind of it for that role here uh, in this class, unless you're going to go into the restricted market. On top of that, so many teams are going to be working with the mid-level. And as long as those players have their expectations calibrated, they're probably not going to get more than that. They'll have their choice between a, a, a series of interested teams in that same level of, of quality of financial offer. So it will have to be choosy, judicious, and a lot of that will also depend on who gets prioritized. I think this is a year a little bit different from others in terms that some of the players who signed early are going to be really happy they did just because the money's going to dry up so quickly. So what meetings happen, and a lot of this is about agents doing their job, what meetings happen at midnight on July 1st will dictate a lot of kind of how how this all ends up shaking out. And people are going to be left just sitting there after a couple of days of this process. And so agents are going to be making their money because it, it's, it's going to get rough out there. Of those guys that I mentioned as the shot creators, who do you like the best? Barton. Yeah, absolutely. I think he and I think Barton can work more on and off and he's younger. Yeah. So I think that that really does help him. I mean, Tyreek is young too, but Tyreek has some some miles in terms of injuries. And even though it might be unfair because he has, I, I believe he shot pretty well the last two years. I know he did this year that I just don't trust it all the way yet. So but but Barton would be my number one. And then in terms of shot, I would say kind of the next archetype is shot converters. And what's so shocking there is that there are arguably even fewer of those than there are those kind of high volume shot guys because for me of, of players that are clearly like rotation caliber that's more like you know Wayne Ellington who is the the best guy in that group by yeah. far because he can at, he then at age a monster. 30 we should say but these then, guys ages when we, when we mention them too that's yeah obviously yeah so Wayne Ellington this is age 30 I would I would have Joe Harris age 26 in that group I don't know where the hell to put Marco Bellinelli age 32 but I guess maybe he's in that sort of that sort of sure. a line and then Bojan Bogdanovic has a partial guarantee i'm expecting the pacers to pick that up because it's 10 million 10 million or i think his is 2.5 and so i'd rather have him on the 10 
and yeah, he has an the only other way that maybe they could well, Bogdanovich. Yeah. he does so, so he's at 29 yes. yeah uh Bogdanovich so yeah I mean if you're looking for a shooter as everyone of course uh, always is you also got Ian Clark who I think it was more of a fringy guy but he'll probably get more just because he's been in the playoffs he'll be in people's minds even though he's probably a little overrated uh Nick Young I'm guessing he probably will not be returning to the Warriors just a, a thought he's been a bit of a disappointment uh and uh yeah I mean that's uh that's about it really and then uh, I I don't know I, I don't think we need to spend much time on Melo because I think you can just go straight to the voice <laughs> um Wilson Chandler is a little bit more of a reasonable one uh at 31 but still about 13 million for his player option I expect him to pick that up he had a little bit of a down year very difficult I could see him getting opting in and then getting traded as yeah. well no I I mean because Denver is going to have to clear out some space for sure um and I mean Chandler if he couldn't establish value as like the starting small forward this year then you know, it's hard he's 31 hard to imagine that he would want to opt out and then try to establish more value for next with next year um there's also Rudy Gay who's an interesting one uh at 31 his player option is just a little bit more than the mid-level uh because that's what he signed for last year still feels like he's probably gonna opt in there I, I think though that it would surprise me if he did the, what what I think he might do is he might opt out and take less money for next season but then get like a two or three year deal if he can yeah. if he can we'll see, maybe it. he wants to just and leave the security he might just want to leave San Antonio. I mean remember he opted out with the Kings and actually ended up taking less to be in San Antonio but so maybe he'll want to try to do you know a little bit more ring chasing type of stuff and Gaya had a, a nice year coming off the turn Achilles you know, it's possible that he could get a full mid-level exception contract for two three years I don't see him getting much above that again with this just being such a limited market in terms of teams that have more than that and even as you mentioned Danny you know we're talking about all oh, the the full level exception these guys are gonna get there's not even that many teams who can do that right I mean there's was like 10 teams that probably can't even do the full mid-level I mean you're probably talking only about maybe like seven or eight full mid-level slots out there in the NBA you you, you yeah. probably have this in your I, mind better than I do I have it at five yeah. right now so the teams that I have I have projected is that that's going to be what you know that they're not going to be on the taxpayer mid-level and that I think they're going to be willing to spend it because that's another another point in this I have it as Memphis the Knicks the Magic the Suns and the Spurs as the teams that will have that available a few other of these kind of uh, more wingy guys with some size James Ennis Luke and Bob Mute is probably at the head of that list I mean he's coming off getting a, a minimum contract this year amazingly and uh, I think he's one of the few guys on this list who actually can expect to increase their salary Joe Harris certainly another one of those uh and, and Bob Mute I mean I think giving him some if you're one of those teams with the full mid-level exception like he's one that you I think you have to look very seriously at just because he's so good defensively and he actually has been passable on offense although certainly the rocket system plays in there uh in terms of kind of these uh Jeff Green is another one of those guys kind of six eight six nine uh big step down for Bob Mute defensively We've also got Glenn Robinson the third who really did not play at all but had, had that ankle sprain you know I think he's looking at kind of more of a make good contract I don't see him getting much more than that and he's age 24 which yeah. I think is worth mentioning uh Luke and Nick and sorry not Nick Young Jeff Green close enough those guys are both 31 and then did you mentioned Ennis right but Ennis is 20 yeah. he's 28 yeah I mentioned him and then uh Joe Johnson I think I never really understood why he went to the Rockets because they clearly didn't need him uh I mean I think maybe he was more just of a regular season guy to help save the wear and tear but he's so bad defensively that he wasn't going to play for them but I still think he even at age 37 can help some teams that are looking for something on the second unit in terms of scoring and shooting even if you know he's pretty calcified on defense right now Vince Carter will be 41 I think he could still even you know help a team out for 10 or 15 minutes a game um and Corey Brewer you know who I have as fringe I guess I should probably move him up to rotation he played okay for the Thunder I, I could see him maybe just going back there uh, 
as well but uh let's sort of the restricted guys now who again this is a very interesting restricted class the two guys that i have as starters right now and, and we can quibble with this obviously are aaron gordon and jabari parker in terms of the type of money that i expect them to get i mean i think you could throw zach levine in there i'm just so low on levine that i i have him in rotation but clearly the bulls will pay him starter money yeah they will <laughs> but and and i'm sure some people will say well why are you having aaron gordon and jabari parker as wings aren't they more bigs and it's because i i think they're they toe that line and but they're they can't defend centers at all so if yeah. you're going to kind of slide one way or the other in terms forwards, of this you know there's uh yeah it's it's tough i mean I, i've kind of been moving those guys more towards wings and we could even you know we could be breaking this down more maybe we will next year but uh let's start with gordon uh i think he's a guy who actually could have some kind of a market here because as a guy who in theory can switch shot it better on threes at least early in the year and then uh, as, as someone who can crash room i think if you have a team with a shooting center you, you would definitely want to look at him i think he fits pretty well i mean among the cap space teams a team like atlanta brooklyn i think he'd fit pretty well there the bulls maybe not as much i'm not sure how he fits with larry markinen um dallas uh, they've got harrison barnes but barnes will enter contract for one more year indiana certainly you would think he would fit pretty well that's the one for me yeah. i think i think he would be fascinating and they need less shot creation now that victor oladipo has become this yeah. dominant offensive player and so gordon hitting shots competing on defense they could even go to more of a switch heavy system and he's not a three but he can kind of give them a little bit more leeway in case they can't find that guy for a little while so it would be a little bit weird if they kind of cash out with him because they still need to figure out a lot of other things with yeah, the roster and but also he if could they're trying to get better meshing. i mean i don't know if they want to wait until 12 days into free agency to find out whether he's coming you know that that's another question for them too yeah and, and that's going to be really scary because orlando is not going to just like renounce him or anything like and anything in that realm and one of the elements that i enjoy a lot about and i just wrote a little bit about this about gordon versus jabari is the dynamic because teams could be interested in jabari just because they could perceive it as being less likely that the bucks would match so restricted free agency is partially about the likelihood of actually getting that player and also the desirability of that player would you be more interested in making a big offer to jabari parker or aaron gordon just in a vacuum gordon because i think that he could succeed he hasn't really had that chance with competent stuff around him and i I give him a little bit of a pass there and we know what gordon is not but i think what he is could be very valuable well i think with the way that parker i mean you don't want to put too much stock into like four games but the fact that he actually kind of tried on defense in the playoffs was pretty big to me uh the health is obviously a massive concern but i i see parker as having a higher upside than gordon uh i think that still it's possible that he could be a dominant one-on-one scorer the two acl injuries are certainly a massive concern not a guy you're probably ever going to want to be playing more than 30 minutes a game just due to the health stuff at least for another couple of years if you have a big investment in him but i mean he's the guy that could be a wild card for some team to put over the top and obviously he'll be linked with utah you could also see the bucks wanting to do a sign and trade with him to get back something uh in terms of depth if in fact jabari doesn't want to be there anymore and the bucks don't feel like paying him you know that could be a fair for for a team that's in a little different situation than the bucks that isn't trying to win right now that wants to develop him but certainly a team like the suns utah i think as a team that desperately needs a reliable long-term second score uh and jabari i think could be pretty awesome in scenario system and and we saw that how badly they struggled against houston and to have another guy who who could break uh, a switching defense with some iso jabari i think could evolve into that certainly but uh you know that's that's the good side it's very easy to how you discount that for injury and whether you're gonna have non-guarantees on his contract is interesting um zach levine i really don't like 
like this is could be one of those ones that's going to be difficult because i don't see the market for him outside of the bulls but the bulls have this investment in him levine looked like he was scoring okay couldn't finish at the rim much was atrocious defensively and then was shut down with tendonitis uh, towards the end of the year and so you know at age 23 what kind of he's coming out of a torn acl in his past as well though it'd been healthy aside from that i, I see that one just kind of going into the late stages of the summer <laughs> unless the bulls just overpay oh, I, you think they're just gonna overpay i think they're gonna overpay and i i can see a tweet on like Ju- july 5th i i'm not gonna pick the writer but zach zach levine is generating significant interest from the sacramento kings is a headline that is going well, to happen at there. some point <laughs> the kings it's it's going to happen i am completely convinced nah, i think the kings are much more like just of a jabari it. type of destination or an aaron gordon oh gordon i i think that i think the gordon thing's gonna happen first it'll be after the aaron gordon thing i mean yeah, gordon also a northern yeah. california product though not from sacramento he's from san jose and it is with with levine you're right that it doesn't make any sense but i have i think this is going to parallel the reggie jackson situation where we just don't see it but because of issues that are tied up and, and more complicated and also general managers that have a little bit more insulation yeah. than is probably a good idea that it'll just end up happening well you know it's interesting I, this is maybe more in the bulls section but levine is a pretty small cap hold this year but indications from the bulls are that they're going to kind of sit this market out and with that being the case they're kind of punting you know probably like 10 million dollars in cap room by waiting until next year if they're going to re-sign him um rodney hood age 25 his star has certainly fallen i had him in the starter category earlier in the season he's not as bad as he's looked you know he's obviously he's looked really soft defensively uh this cleveland team in theory has kind of needed what he's brought but out of the utah system he has not looked nearly as good has not been given the chance to run much pick and roll his three-pointer is totally abandoned him but he's a guy who can shoot threes off the drill he could be a valuable scorer in the right system despite what's been you know exposed as pretty atrocious defense of late so is this has not been for him to build value but so much of his market and fate depends on what happens in cleveland with lebron james but regardless i don't see him getting an offer more than the mid-level exception and again you mentioned there's only five of these teams so where does the offer come from he seems like another guy who's just going to kind of languish either he takes below market or you know he i could even see him just ending up with the qualifying offer as well i could see that too and the difference between rodney hood and some of the other guys on this list could be expectations and players who hold out this the, the parallel here is probably nerland's noel from last year the players who hold out because they think they deserve more are going to get absolutely trucked because there just are, there isn't a place for it to come from so hood could end up losing out in that i'm not 100 percent sure that he will and i feel like this is a worthwhile transition to a player who we don't have in the starter tier but will end up getting interest i have so i think i've written or started eight of the offseason previews i've already mentioned travion graham's name four times just because there aren't many no. guys at that price point who can do what he can do yeah and we don't know whether his shooting is really so very low volume of attempts sure. at age 24 but i think a solid guy defensively you know not quite the size that you want to guard the best wings by any mean but you know not every those not every team can have one of those guys they just don't exist in that type of number and graham plays extremely hard looks okay shooting the ball extremely low usage in charlotte but maybe if they had a little bit more creation on the second unit they might have had someone who could set him up slightly more so i i think i, I like him i also like david nwapa as well as a guy who you know he's maybe he's not a playoff player although he he's a better ball handler and attacker of closeouts than a lot of people would think but he's another guy who just plays extremely hard undersized at the three but you know really just gets into guys makes a lot of guys uncomfortable you know i i, I like him as well i actually have him higher than patrick 
Patrick McCaw, who, I mean, gosh, who knows what the story is going to be with him at, with that spinal cord bruise. And then Kyle Anderson, who, you know, at, at age 24, just the total inability to shoot. You know, he's another regular season player type of guy. You know, you have to imagine he'll go back to the Spurs in some respect because they certainly uh, have not exactly been judicious as far as re-signing their own players. They also have a good collection of slow guys so he can just fit in with all them, even yeah. though he's like 10 years younger than they are. Doug McDermott, who, who I actually have above some of the other guys we're talking about, he seems to have found a home in mm-hmm. Dallas. What the price point is going to be for him will be interesting. Another guy who you don't really see him necessarily getting an offer. You know, I, I could see something along the lines of like a $5 million per year contract for three years. I, I think some of these restricted free agents, maybe what ends up happening is they get them on a good price, but it's a shorter deal. It's a two plus one. It's a three-year deal. So they can at least get back in the market one more time. Uh, McDermott's already 26. So he is. this is what happens when you come out of college when you're 22 is you basically have one chance to get a contract and you're a restricted free agent and that really sucks. So don't stay in school, kids. Uh, anyone else that really uh, piques your interest here that you want to talk about at all? Not particularly. I mean, Pat Connaughton will have a complicated negotiation because he is the number three of Portland's restricted free agents behind Yusuf Nurkic and, Sh- and Shabazz Napier. So that could be a real challenge for him. But maybe, you know, gets one of those kind of middling offers. And yeah, I mean, I just want to go back to him a little bit. I wonder if anybody's going to take a flyer on, on Glenn Robinson III just because he did show something to me a little bit last year. And the injury that he had is not something that really concerns me about recurrence. So maybe he ends up with a contract that I like. There, I, I think there are going to be a lot of contracts I like this summer and he could end up being on that list. And the other thing that's crazy, and this isn't a surprise considering how valuable centers are, is that there aren't really any non-guaranteed guys because all of those are going to get picked up basically for anybody who's any good. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Another guy we haven't mentioned just, but it's shown a little bit with the Bucks it has been Sh- Shabazz Muhammad, not Shabazz Muhammad, uh, but you mentioned Shabazz Napier. So I, th- that reminded me of him. Uh, you know, he actually, it looks like gave back all of his money in that player option for the next year to get out of Minnesota this year to sign with the Bucks. But now he'll be a, uh, an unrestricted free agent. Interested to see whether some team wants to try and get him in for some bench scoring as well. I still think he's another guy who could help the right team. It never really made sense for me why you would sign with the Bucks because they have plenty of shot creators. But, you know, on a team like a Charlotte or something, you know, I think he could actually contribute something as a bench score. Um, all right, that's about it. I, I think uh, really nobody else that sticks out to me in this group. So let's uh, pack it in and we'll be back tomorrow night. See how the games go. I don't know how much we're going to talk about them. They're both game four is 3-0. So unless they're really close, we probably won't talk about them too much, but got plenty more offseason previews. Maybe we'll do a uh, offseason preview for one of these teams that gets eliminated. That'll be interesting. We're getting a lot of questions about the uh, Toronto and Philly. So that would be, uh, people would probably be interested in that. So maybe we'll, we'll lock in there. But uh, thanks again for listening and we will talk to y'all next time. Till then.